listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us online here at Ogden. We know this is a strange time, but let me just encourage you, please interact with us. Uh, I will be asking a few questions throughout the service, and we'd love for you to comment on those things. Let us know where you're watching from and where you're joining us. Uh, God is so good to allow us to interact digitally still, even though some of us are not able to head out and be in uh, our society at work and some of the ways we had before. And so, We're entering our Easter series, and it is called Sacrifice. We're going to be looking at the biblical theme of sacrifice from the Old Testament to the New, how sacrifice has always pointed us to and made us long for Jesus Christ. And we're going to start all the way back in in Genesis chapter 3, and our world's just changing. There's a ton of things happening right now. And I think one of the things that we desperately need in our lives is hope. We need hope of something greater, something more. Especially when the market's going crazy and some of our jobs are shutting down and we're asking questions like, what, what's next? Where are our funds going to come from to support our families? And, and when this world kind of crumbles around us, it allows us to ask some of these big questions about God in eternity. I saw recently that some celebrities thought it would be a good idea right now to uh, sing one line apiece and mash together their parts to the song Imagine by John Lennon. One of the things that strikes me about this is the message of the song, from my perspective, isn't very hopeful at all. But these are the lines. These are the lyrics that he wrote. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. How fascinating. That our culture thinks that the message that we need to hear right now is that there's no heaven above us, no hell below us. Look, it's only us. Let's live for today. Let's live for right now. That is crazy. When there are people in our culture that are afraid of actual death, afraid of catching a virus and and going someplace beyond this life, your message really, our culture is telling us, live for today? That's crazy. That's false hope. That's not real hope. We want something that's beyond this world, bigger than all of the stuff that's falling apart around us all the time. But we continually to look, we continually look for hope in all of these false places where we don't find it. But God offers us a hope that's so much bigger. And hope is actually an unbelievably powerful force in life. There's an incredible example of this uh, by a a scientist by the name of Kurt Richter in in the 1950s. 
is, was a Harvard graduate and a scientist with John, Johns Hopkins University. And he did a series of experiments using water buckets and rats that resulted in an amazing discovery. Richter, you see, put rats into large buckets filled, half filled with circulating water. Being notoriously good swimmers, the rats lasted about 15 minutes before giving up and succumbing to the depths of the bucket. Now, that's not very long. The, the rats just kind of gave up. They thought, hey, well, this is, this is it. We're, we're going down. The water's is coming up around us. I think this is how some of us feel, like we're treading water, trying to figure it out. But in a follow-up experiment, as the rats started to give up and sink, he pulled the drowning rodents to safety, dried them off, and gave them a brief period of rest, only to put them right back into the same bucket. The amazing part is that the rats now swam for an average of 60 hours, two and a half days. These rats were able to push through the difficulty of what they were experiencing because they had so hope of something beyond it. It wasn't like, hey, just live for the bucket, live for the water right now. It's like, no, I need to know that there's something beyond this, a hope beyond this life. This is the place that we find ourselves in right now. We need hope even in the chaos of our world. And all the time, all the time, God is working for the salvation of his people our passage starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Turn there with us or tap there in your Bible or your app. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. This is a fascinating passage right here. This is not the verse that we expect to see because Adam and Eve had sinned. They took the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God has passed his judgment down on him, on them, on Adam and Eve. He's, he's given the curses that are a result of their sin. And so he said, this is what you're going to have to deal with. And this is the first time Adam does anything right after those curses. So you would expect chaos and fear and stress. And Adam says, I'm going to name my wife Eve because she She's going to be the mother of all the living. How incredible. What incredible faith that Adam's not just given up. He's not throwing his hands up. He says, no, no, there's going to be a future beyond this. And I know God's character. And he's going to see us through and beyond the difficulty we're facing right here and right now. God is always working toward the salvation of his people. He's always working toward that. No matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult things seem now, God is working toward salvation. Don't get caught focused right now. Know that God exists outside of this, and our hope isn't just this world. It is in heaven to exist eternally with a perfect God. In this chapter, the end of chapter 3, we see God working toward salvation in three stages. He works for salvation through provision. He provides for his people initially right after the sin. He still provides through protection. He protects them from themselves in the garden. And through punishment, 
There has to be distance between our brokenness and God's holiness and holiness, and that's the punishment that comes forward for men and women and all of the created order. But first we see God provide in chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I believe that this is the first sacrifice that takes place in Scripture. We know that the wages of sin are death. That death has to take place because of sin. And Adam and Eve sinned. And God goes to an animal and he takes the life of the animal and takes the skin and covers over Adam and Eve. He takes action where they couldn't solve the problem themselves. You see, what's interesting about this is they tried to cover themselves. They sewed leaves together and tried to cover themselves, but our own coverings, our own attempts to fix our sin problem, they're never enough. And then God steps in and he provides. He doesn't say, get out of the garden, just totally vulnerable. He takes the life of an animal and he covers over Adam and Eve with the skin of the animal to point us to the greater sacrifice that was to come in Jesus Christ the real hope that we have, the blood shed of the perfect lamb. This is the first blood that was shed. But they couldn't cover themselves. They tried to provide for themselves, but they couldn't do it. We need God's provision in our lives. You know, I I felt called into ministry when I was 16 years old. I felt like God's voice clearly spoke to me. He said, "I, I want you to serve me for your whole life. And I just knew it. I felt blessed and thankful that that was going to be part of God's call on my life. And actually, when I was 16, I thought to myself, like, I realize a lot of people who go into ministry are going to struggle financially. And, you know, they're they're going to have to really rely on God, you know. But I felt at 16 that I was blessed to, to have a family that was, had, had some affluence, had some money that, that I was going to be able to kind of have my cake and eat it too. Go into ministry but be provided for financially from my family. And I go off to seminary and then in 2007 and 2008 an economic time happened that wasn't completely dissimilar from what we're going through now. The market got cut in half. Michigan got hit really hard and my dad ended up declaring bankruptcy and many of the businesses that we had owned had to be sold. And through that time, I felt like God was saying, you thought you had a safety net in your family's wealth, and I'm your safety net. I'm the one who will provide for you. Don't think that your plans is wrapped up in and depends on your ability to figure it out for yourself. God was saying, I'm the one who provides for you, not your father, not your mother, not your family, your job your bank account, your 401k, none of those things provide for us as people the only thing that will sustain us and last us when the rest of the world is falling apart is God himself. Like a rock that falls through the web of a spider is what happens when the world comes crashing in on our plans to provide for ourselves. The only safety net that any of us can truly rely on is the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the blood of the Son of God, whose economy never gets cut in half. 
His stock market never is affected by the things of this world. And one of the blessings that happens right now is God reveals the falseness of the things we put our hope in. So right now, I don't, I don't know where you are, what you find your hope in, your safety net in, but I would just encourage you to type in the comment section what you find yourself trusting in. Is it your job? Is it your retirement fund, your home, your family? Because for me, the truth is, it's my family most of the time. Is the idol that I'll bow down to and I'll say, hey, if this is good, then I'm good. That's not true. That's not the hope God calls us into. He says your hope needs to be bigger than your family, bigger than your job. So as we do this thing online and we connect with each other digitally, I would just encourage you, be courageous, be honest. Where do you put your hope in this world? Is it your job? Is it your family? Or is it God? Because he is the only hope that will last, the only thing that will truly provide for us. You know, one of the things I did want to point out is in the first service, we had darn near 100 comments. So we want to be really encouraging you to engage with us. We can't let the first service people outpace us second service people. Maybe you like to sleep in a little more, but let's wake up those fingers and comment as we go. God's always working for our salvation. The first ways he provides, the first sacrifice in scripture takes place. When he takes the life of an animal and he provides covering for Adam and Eve. Then he protects them. He protects them in the next verse, verse 22. It says, then the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. The first person, plural, personal pronoun is used as sort of a foreshadowing of our understanding of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always existed together through creation, has become like one of us, knowing God, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out and take, reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Two forbidden trees, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Adam and Eve took from the knowledge tree and now they're able to understand good from evil but are corrupted in evil themselves. And God says, look, we cannot let Adam and Eve, evil people now, take from the tree of life because they would exist forever in an evil state. They would become evil. And God says, no, 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 we cannot allow them to exist forever in that state. And he removes them from the temptation that they proved they were unable to handle. It would be like if you were in a 747 plane and it's full of people and you're flying through the air. And a toddler comes up to the cockpit where the pilot is and they let him sit in the seat and they're like, hey, hey, whatever you do, don't, don't touch the control wheel. We just don't want you to do that because that'd be dangerous for everybody on, on board. And the toddler reaches out like toddlers do, right? Like, well, whatever, pilot, I got this. I can fly this plane. They grab the wheel, starts to jostle the plane. The pilot like grabs the, the toddler and removes them from the cockpit because it's, they've proven that they cannot handle being near this powerful place. And God says, look, you cannot exist evil in an evil state forever 
forever. I have to remove you from the temptation of this tree. Because one of the things that we struggle with as people in sin is arrogance. Is a sin of pride, thinking we don't need God. We can handle these things on our own, by ourselves. God needs to protect us from us. That's one of the things he does here. He says, no, we need to remove these evil people from the possibility of living eternally in an evil state. And then the punishment comes. The punishment is handed down in verse 23. It says, so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Adam's like, hey, you got to go work the ground now, and it's going to be hard, and the curses are handed down, and it's not going to be satisfying. Work before in the garden was a satisfying practice. You're able to be satisfied by what you did, but he's like, no, you're going to go work the ground now because God is holy and perfect. He's going to send Adam out in a way because there needs to be a gap between God's holiness and our brokenness and our sinfulness. Where God is, sinful, broken people left in our own sinfulness cannot be perfectly with God. We know this because even Moses who goes up on the mountain to meet with God when he gets the Ten Commandments says, hey God, I want to see you. Let me look at you. And God says, no, you, you can't look at me because if you did, you'd die. Because my holiness and perfection, the weight of my glory, you wouldn't be able to handle in your sinful state. We can interact with God some, but there's a space between us and him. And the only way is when Jesus bridges that gap and becomes human like us to live the perfect life that we couldn't live for ourselves. There's this gap where sinful people are and a holy God exists. You know, there was never a more perfect illustration of the clean and the sick, the healthy and those who are ill than what we're living through right now. One of the things that's fascinating about this virus is often people are infected with it and sick before they even know, walking around sick but acting like they're healthy. This is exactly what happens around most of the rest of the world with our sinfulness. We don't even recognize that we have this virus, this illness that will kill us eternally before God. This sin is in all of us and we're not even searching for a cure. So that's what happens when people are sick in this world. Wrestling with this virus, not knowing it, is just like people walking around having sin broken to their core, but not having any clue that they're dealing with an eternally Ill, an eternal illness that will cause an ultimate death sentence for all of us. You know, I was dealing with, talking with a buddy of mine who was telling me he works at U of M Hospital, and he was talking about the units they have to get ready for the people who are infected with the coronavirus, COVID-19. 
And he said, we got to be really careful about positive and negative airflow. We got to get the air of the sick people away from the healthy people. There needs to be space between those who are healthy and those who are sick. This is the space, the punishment that takes place is God is healthy and perfect. And there needs to be space between us and him. They're banished from the garden. Space between the children in the Father. You see, this is devastating to us because we were created only to be satisfied by God, only to ultimately desire to be satisfied by Him. That's why nothing in this world works. That's why we try to find the right spouse, the right family, the right house, the right job, but it always ends up leaving us empty. You see, we're separated from this God that we were created to love and be in relationship with. Verse 24, our passage concludes. It says, after he drove the man out, he banished him, and then he drives him out. It's like, no, I'm serious. You, you have to go. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Why? just guard the tree. Why wouldn't God just say, well, hey, look, I need to just destroy this tree because they couldn't handle it. He guards it. He casts them out, but he says, look, I'm not going to destroy the tree completely. You know, we, we need hope in this time. And this is Revelation chapter 3. This is at the beginning of the story. We see a sacrifice that God makes to cover and provide for his people. He protects them from the tree of life because they, don't, they can't handle living with God forever in an evil and broken state. And the punishment is separation from God, but he protects the tree. What happens with this tree? You know, at the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 is a reference to the tree again. In verses 12 through 14, these are the words of Jesus in the prophecy in Revelation chapter 22. It says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, in the beginning and the end. Now listen to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates and into the city. The city of God, the right to the tree of life. Wash their robes. So here's the hope. It's not in the economy. It's not in the job. It's not in if your company opens up again soon or makes it even. Our hope is that through the blood of Christ, our robes are washed and we're welcomed into the city again of God to have access to the tree of life so that we can be satisfied by him. So Jesus on the cross he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me, God? Because he was cast out of the Father's presence so that we could be brought back in. He suffered the punishment that we deserved so that we could get the blessing that he 
earned. How do we have the right to reach out? It's because Jesus earned it for us. On the cross, he loves you. He died for you. The son was cast away from the father eternally on the cross, bore the weight of our sin so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. That is the hope that will carry us through whatever and wherever this pandemic takes us as a country and a world. This gospel has carried generations, thousands of generations of people through difficulties and struggles, this hope that we see in God working for the salvation of his people all through the Old Testament into the New, pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ who gives us the right to be welcomed home as a child of God. Now here's the deal. I don't know what you're feeling right now. I know there are a lot of emotions out there and sometimes we wrestle with fear, anxiety, stress, and we just want to encourage you to take a second and, and name that in your mind. Write just that word, write fear, anxiety, or stress, or anger. Write, write those things down in the comments section, but don't just write that. Because God doesn't just leave us there. Remember the words in verse 12 where it says, look, I am coming soon. Just write fear, he is coming soon. Stress, he is coming soon. We don't succumb just to that emotion, that feeling that maybe does feel dark, maybe does feel stressful, but our Savior, he's coming soon. He is coming soon and he will not leave us forever in the darkness of pain and stress. He came to this world to prove his goodness to you so that we could get what he deserves. Stress, fear. He is coming soon. My Savior is coming soon. Write it down in the, in the comments so we can care for each other, be praying over each other as we struggle through this time. And I want you to know that God's not done. He has seen his people through worse. He'll see us through this too. God, he's good. And through all things, he's working for the salvation of his people, no matter what you're dealing with. He is coming soon. Let's pray and then we'll close. God, we praise you that your word is true and it's good all the time. Help us to lean in to who you are, to rest in your grace and your goodness. Trust your character over what we see. God, we love you. We trust you. Our hope is in you. Carry us as a church, as a people, through this season to be a beacon of light in the darkness of the world. We lift this place to you. We lift our hearts to you. Be with those who are struggling through sickness or pain or loss. Help them to know that there's a God who died so that they could be set free from the struggles and pain of this world. True peace and hope is only found in you. Reveal that to us as a country, as a nation. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for joining with us this Sunday, and we pray that you would have an incredible week. Join us again, same place, same time. We look forward to seeing you next week. Talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this message from Ogden Church. We would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. If you would like any more information, you can find us on Facebook or at ogdenchurch.org.